Hello, and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. My guest today is a registered nutritionist, member of the British Menopause Society, Emma Bardwell. She has her own practice where she combines an evidence-based approach to nutrition with a focus on lifestyle, exercise and stress reduction. She describes herself as deeply anti-fad, believing in positive rather than perfect, which sounds pretty great to me. Welcome along, Emma. Thank you so much for having me. It feels a little odd looking at the screen and I'm seeing Emma, Emma T and Emma B. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm looking really sweaty. (laughs) So thanks so much for coming along to talk to us about your book. It's called The Perimenopause Solution and it's out this week, which must be very exciting. It feels like it's been a long time coming, to be honest. (laughs) How long have you been working on the book? Uh, So Shazadi, the doctor that I worked with it on, we we kind of came up with the idea about two years ago. That's how long these things take. But yes, it, it has felt a bit like a kind of prolonged labour. If the book is <laughs> a long gestation labor. period, exactly. Uh, so yeah, we are very much looking forward to Thursday when it comes out. It's exciting. And how how long have you? Do you work together in a sort of a clinical setting, or do you sort of work independently? But you've come together to kind of co-author the book. Yeah, we work independently. I have worked from Shazadi's um, clinic, which is called the Harper Clinic, which is based in Harley Street. Um, but since COVID, as with, you know, as happens with lots of us, I am now predominantly working online. So I don't, act, I've worked out that I don't actually need, um, you know, a, a to see to see clients face to face. It's actually much easier for everybody. So, yeah. so time just to do it online. You don't have the travel time and the stress of kind of trains, planes and automobiles. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes it global too, which is super helpful. So the book is structured into three parts. Um, Part one, looking at health. So the different symptoms of which there are many and varied that that people might be experiencing. Um, Part two is looking at life. So your environment and how that can impact on your experience of going through perimenopause. And part three is diet. So looking at nutrition rather than, you know, diet, diet, but looking at how you can support your body in terms of you know what you're putting into it did you cross over and overlap or were you predominantly focused on the sort of the nutrition part of the book yeah great question we actually so I in my approach I'm very this is one of the reasons actually that Shazadi and I kind of clicked when we first met um a couple of years ago, actually, when we were recording a podcast, we are both very much aligned in our outlook, which is, you know, very much kind of um, holistic. It's yeah. it's a 360 degree approach. So in Shazadi's clinic, you know, she will talk to clients about lifestyle, about exercise. Um, and I also will talk to clients not about HRT, because that would be outside my scope. Mm. Of practice, but I'm, you know, really happy to refer women on if that's the avenue that they want to take so yeah we both kind of crossed over throughout the book and we we had our own chapters but we very much had a, an input into each other's too that's nice so you get those kind of complementary voices but also I'm sure there, there must have been points where you both sort of picked up on something thought you can develop that a bit in a slightly in another way and sort of layer on so sort of two heads better than one kind of approach (laughs) yeah totally totally particularly when it came to things like 
uh, work in the in the menopause at work, so menopause in the workplace, and also sex and relationships. You know, it's always better to have two heads. Also, the fact that um, Dr. Harper Shazadi is she's um, she has a Pakistani heritage, so that input I think was super important for for both of us. Mm. And people from the sort of South Asian heritage can, can experience menopause quite differently, I think. All sort of uh, different groups experience things. And obviously our sort of socioeconomic background, individual circumstances have a huge impact on how we live through this and how we deal with it. You retrained as a nutritionist later in life. You, you were working in advertising, I think, before. Did you retrain and then think about going into this sort of area of supporting women in midlife or was it something that you thought anyway that you you might specialize in so I retrained I'd been studying nutrition over a number of years but then I finally did you know the three-year course that really kind of nailed it and it was during that point actually that I realized there was this kind of huge chasm I guess when it Mm. comes to um, women's health and you know health care for women so that was something that I really really wanted to address and within that chasm let's say I was experiencing perimenopause myself and I was noticing that lots of women were coming to me uh, you know with, with similar symptoms not recognizing what was mm. happening to them um, so there was definitely a huge void that needed filling and still does because although we are talking massively more about, you know, perimenopause and menopause, thanks to Davina, you know, and all the good work from all the kind of menopause warriors out there. There is still this kind of dearth. There's a, still a very much a lack, I think, of evidence-based info. Yeah. That's really accessible for, for women um, that isn't sort of, you know, woo-woo or kind of pseudoscience. So essentially that's what... That's why Shazadi and I came up with the idea for the book. We wanted to cut through all that kind of noise and just give women the facts. But I think we really wanted to make it accessible and and do it in a way that felt that we were talking to women. You know, I think there are lots of books on menopause out there, not so many on perimenopause, but in the two years that we were thinking about this and writing it, a couple have come out. But, you know, if I'm being honest, a lot of them were kind of a little bit staid, a little bit lacking in personality. And, you know, they talked about heterosexual relationships. They featured women, images of women wearing, I don't know, waterfall cardigans, you know, looking a bit... <laughs> the linen trouser look. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is fine. I have linen trousers. I'm, I'm going to say that. I'll say that. Now. Well, yeah, but, you know, it's it's not all of us, you know, and it's it's that kind of, you know, women looking wistful on the beach all a bit kind of grey and depressing. And we definitely felt that those books weren't talking to us. They certainly weren't talking to us. And they weren't talking to women like us or the clients that we were seeing. So we kind of wanted to, our book is, I think, very much reframes midlife and perimenopause as a kind of a time for change. You know, it's this kind of new chapter. And it's a time for positivity. We wanted to spell out the symptoms and all the myriad ways there are that you can go about addressing them because there are lots of different avenues that you can go down but we wanted the book to feel very modern 
and fresh um, and in tune with the kind of women that we were seeing in our clinics all the time. So like I said, you know, Shazadi comes from a Pakistani heritage. You know, we see women of all backgrounds, all ages, all races, and we wanted them to feel heard and I guess represented. So we talk about intersectionality in the book. We talk about the effect that your socioeconomic background has on your perimenopause experience. We talk about early menopause, you know, and POI, so premature ovarian insufficiency. So my youngest client is actually, she went through menopause um, aged 14, amazingly. Wow. Um, I know. That's, yeah, traumatic. That's that's a hard thing, isn't it, you can imagine, to go through. But I think a lot of people would be surprised when they hear, you know, just how many people do go through this under 40, especially when, you know, you kind of hear this constant refrain of people having gone to see their GP and been told, no, you're too young. You're too young. You can't 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 be menopausal. You know, you're only 42 or, or whatever. So, yeah, there's definitely a long, a long, long way to go. One of the key takeaways from your book uh, was a, a more in-depth understanding of just how many processes, pathways in our body depend on estrogen and how debilitating it can be when those levels drop. Could you talk a little bit more about this? Are we still finding sort of new and important ways that this kind of shows up in our bodies? Yeah, so it's true. We think of estrogen as primarily a reproductive hormone, don't mm. we? It's actually used throughout our body um, you know we now think that pretty much every cell has a need for estrogen and I think this is one of the reasons that we have so many psychological symptoms because we have estrogen receptors throughout our brain Mm -hmm. so especially in the hippocampus area you know where we control our temperature um, something I'm suffering from today because it's so hot Um, it's also where we store you know memory it's used when we concentrate so Hence, when those estrogen levels dip, we can feel forgetful or we feel brain fog or we can't focus on a task. Um, Estrogen is also used to keep parts of your body flexible and malleable. So, for example, it's found in the wall of blood vessels and arteries. So, again, when those levels dip, we can experience palpitations. We know that women over 50 are much more at risk of heart disease. Um, It also, you know, oestrogen helps reduce a substance called endothelin, which actually constricts blood vessels and is very closely related to heart disease and high blood pressure. It also buffers the effects of cholesterol. So again, we find, you know, that perimenopause brings about higher levels of cholesterol and those kind of heart-related conditions. Mm. And I didn't realise, I think, that uh, until I read the book as well, that it, it normally keeps our levels of cortisol yes low and so yeah that's yeah so many things interconnected that you kind of it's like pulling a piece of string and then sort of something else unravels and absolutely yeah you know it's also implicated in things like collagen so immediately I because I'm quite vain think about (laughs) my face you know and the kind of sag that we all seem to experience when we hit 40 but we need to remember that collagen is also found in our joints in our ligaments Mm. We feel the effects there too. So, you know, women are often complaining about these kind of muscle aches and joint pain and pelvic floor issues because, of course, your pelvic floor requires collagen to keep it supple and bouncy and supportive. 
And like you say, you, you, you know, you look at one thing and then you pull it and everything else unravels. So if you inch around from your pelvic floor to your vaginal wall, we need estrogen there to keep it lubricated because that's another one of estrogen's qualities, actually physically holding on to water. So when we lose it there, then we start to experience vaginal dryness or painful sex. Mm. Um, you know, I have clients who feel it's really uncomfortable just wearing jeans or wiping themselves after the, going to the toilet. And then, of course, linked to that, you may find that you have dry skin or dry hair or dry eyes. It's all the same mechanism. So, yeah. There was a <laughs> definitely a period where I would take my black jeans off and I'd be like, oh, what is that on the inside? Oh, it's just skin shedding off. Yes. You, know, you just feel so gross. Yeah. But and I think a lot of women maybe don't realise that they can take topical estrogen cream for vaginal dryness they don't necessarily have to go on to full hrt if that's not absolutely yeah that's them. not talked about enough so yeah it is it, and it's really safe lots of women who are on tamoxifen or have had breast cancer can use that you know really really safely it's such a teeny teeny tiny dose mm. and widely available from your gp but because we don't talk about it um because it's you know it's the stigma yeah, exactly. Yeah. If menopause has still got this stigma, then vaginal dryness is, you know, even more so. So, yeah, we just we all need to be talking about this stuff and sharing and normalising all these things that are happening. And I think the other thing that struck me, and I, if you could see the book, I've dog-eared over so many corners. It's with um, the broad impact of stress on our bodies and knock-on effects. So, for example, you write about a stress depleting our magnesium in our body and vitamin C and the B vitamins, and all of those really important for a range of functions, causing our bodies to produce less stomach acid and digestive enzymes so we get bloated and gassy. I mean, it, you know, it's a real eye-opener just to how broad spectrum the impacts can be when you sort of talk to your clients does stress tend to show up for people in the body in different ways or yeah yeah it's a massive trigger massive trigger for I, I think people don't women don't necessarily make the link it's a it's a huge trigger for menopause you know for perimenopause mm. and menopause symptoms so I recently spoke on a podcast about my own experience of stress and how I felt that it triggered um, my menopause symptoms when I was 42. Mm. And I think, you know, show me a perimenopause woman who isn't stressed. I, I, I don't, I it seems like a cruel irony, doesn't it? It's it's the kind of that crunch time in her lives and maybe, you know, stressful career, teenage kids yeah. or even younger kids. And yeah, aging parents, that whole everything being piled on top and then <laughs> all of this other stuff as well. And, exactly. and managing that stress you know if and if and however we can to just even just dial it down even a little bit can it yeah. seems can make such a big difference yeah the two very much go hand in hand so I actually got my symptoms under control I was doing really brilliantly and then in March 2020 my brother died and I spent my his last month with him I moved in with him you know obviously it was brutal and the stress of seeing him suffering and then grieving his mm. death just meant that my symptoms came on all over again. So, you know, we very much mustn't underestimate the power that cortisol and adrenaline, those stress hormones have on your body. They are, you know, they're designed to take over because your body sees them as helping to keep you safe and alive. But when you're chronically stressed, you know, they, they shut down the other body functions that aren't seen as important. So that means, like you said, you know, your digestion suffers, your hair falls out, your nails get weak, your skin gets dry. 
um, your, and your body isn't focused on making sex hormones because clearly getting pregnant is the last thing that a stressed <laughs> body wants. Yeah, this li- life is a big tiger chasing us and, and uh, yeah. yeah, we need to escape, but there is no escape. No, absolutely. So yeah, it, it can show up in lots of stress, you know, to answer your question, it can show up in lots of different guises, things like weight loss, it might be weight gain, it might be IBS, it might be tinnitus. That's a huge symptom that, again, I don't think is talked about enough. Mm. I have noise sensitivity. My husband laughs at me, but I'm literally, I will just (laughs) jump a mile if someone drops a spoon in the kitchen on a bad day. You're like, you're hyper (laughs) alert, aren't you? Yeah, no, that's interesting. I kind of just sort of making that connection of, yeah, if if there's a, a cortisol spike and something kind of sets you off, then... Yeah, of course, that's what your body is designed to do, right? It's yeah. it's, it's just doing what we well, Yeah, there's also there's a there's a real spike in 40s, mid 40s of autoimmune diseases, you know, things like hypothyroidism and stress has a massive impact on those too. So, you know, I won't patronize listeners about you know about ways to reduce stress because mm. I think we're all different. We've kind all find your own yeah, way. definitely. And we we talk about mindfulness and meditation, don't we, and walking and gardening and knitting whatever your thing is you have to kind of tune into what it is but the importance I think of of really shoehorning some me time into your day and it is shoehorning it you know well it's right it's prioritizing isn't it I think so often it's easy to say oh I don't have time but it's about flipping around those priorities and saying you know I'm going to make time because I'm worth investing in sometimes diarize it or I get my my clients to actually put it in the diary and treat it as an appointment you know even if it's Mm. just 10 minutes staring out the window but just not stressing or you know or trying not to stress about what's going on internally and it's not I don't think it's self-care I think it's self-preservation definitely (laughs) um in terms of nutrition and changing perhaps the way that we eat to support the changes that our bodies are going through, it can be really overwhelming sometimes reading through the sort of list of do's and don'ts. And, you know, we should have a certain amount of protein every day. We should have a certain amount of fiber every day. And then sort of thinking about all of the different vitamins and minerals and stuff that ideally we should be packing in there can feel a little bit just like uh, another thing on the sort of the long to-do list mm-hmm. uh, have you got any advice for making those sort of positive changes easier to maintain and a bit less overwhelming yeah so I would say stop following silly kind of unqualified people on, on <laughs> social media <laughs> they will just make you more stressed yeah and <laughs> more confused um particularly I think the alarm bell should always go off if they are purporting that their way is the only way. That it, it, it isn't. They don't know you. Mm. You know, you know your body. You know what works for you. Um, and I think there's lots of people jumping on the menopause bandwagon, selling supplements, selling diets, and you know they've often got discount codes. Uh, I, you know, it's a real. I think it's a real issue. It's a minefield. And anyone yeah. that says, you know, lose the belly fat in 20 days is, yeah. is immediately getting <laughs> yeah. and off the list. You know, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurial types, which is amazing, uh, who've written books, but they're not qualified to be talking, you know, in the way that they do. Um, there's a lot of 
celebs, you know, a blue tick, I always say a blue tick doesn't mean that you are qualified to give out nutrition advice. So just, I, I think for, for, for women listening who are feeling really overwhelmed, when it comes to nutrition, you don't need a label, you know, you don't need to say I am keto or I am vegan or I am paleo. Just do you, you know, you do you, you become your kind of almost need to become your own detective. So by keeping a diary, seeing if any foods are triggering, just trying to kind of unpick what's happening to you particularly and making changes, but not making these huge kind of grandiose statements as in, you know, I'm going to take out sugar or Mm. I'm going to stop eating, I don't know, grains. You know, you need to make small changes. I think one at a time, bed them in, see if they work. If they do, brilliant. They become Just a habit. Stepping and then you, stones. Yeah, and then gradual, you move gradual. on to the next one. Exactly. You, you can't overhaul a diet overnight. It takes time. So you've got to be patient. You've got to be consistent. Um, by the book obviously I'm going to say that (laughs) no I was just going to say it's got a great chapter in chapter 11 called eat to beat your symptoms so actually because we all have a sort of this almost unique fingerprint combination of symptoms that that we experience so people can go and have a look at you know what what is it that's particularly troubling for me at the moment is there anything I can do nutrition wise to try and help mitigate that or to just to improve the way that I'm feeling so that's really good and the other really great bit of the book is at the end of each chapter you've got this the little um sort of pull pull out the key bullet points so the bottom line and just kind of so I think that's really handy if you you read through the book and then like me you're just like well I'm sure there were loads of things that I so apart from dog earing all the corners and underlining bits you can go back and just read the last little kind of 10 lines at the end of each chapter if you want to for a, a kind of a quick reminder I'm glad you liked that because we very much wrote it thinking of a woman who was stressed, tired, uh, overwhelmed uh, and time poor. So, you know, it's it's not really designed to be read from start to finish, though you can. It's, it's, it's almost like a perimenopause pick and mix whereby you just go in and you sort out what is happening to you right now. Because perimenopause is a bit of a journey. It's, it's not linear. It, it changes all the time. So you might have a symptom get it nailed mm. and then something else crops up right that's all part of the fun <laughs> like yeah. what's it going to be this month yeah. it unfolds doesn't it and there we we talk about those 34 symptoms but you know as we say in the book we think there's probably double that at least um so some of the things i think women will be experiencing they don't even realize are connected to perimenopause so yeah it it, it unfolds i think however long your journey perimenopause journey is and hopefully in the book there is something that will you know which will help pretty much every single woman I think yeah I think so I think it's all it's just really well clearly laid out I think you you mentioned the sort of you know the sex and relationship side and I think that's something that's quite often omitted from books of this genre but it is such a big part of things and and it is an area that people probably find perhaps the hardest to speak to somebody about, you know, particularly a GP. I mean, maybe if you've got really, really good girlfriends, you might kind of bear all and, and kind of get some support there. But yeah, it is very much a time, I think, when it's it's good to have your a tribe around you that you feel comfortable with. Um, and that might be friends, but it's, 
in my experience, some of my clients are finding it hard to talk to friends because their friends just don't want to admit that they're going through it or they don't recognize what's happening to them. So, you know, if that is the case, then there are lots of online resources. That's the beauty. You know, we are opening up more and we are kind of discussing this and it's becoming less taboo and less of a stigma. Yeah. So, yeah, there are lots of resources out there, lots of forums, lots of menopause cafes. You need to just... I think my most important message, I think, for women is just not to ride it, you know, thinking that they'll kind of see it out and they will stoically soldier on. Yes, endure, endure and come out the other side and everything will be fine. But in the meantime, you've had maybe five years of quiet desperation. It doesn't have to be like that. No, it absolutely doesn't. It can be, we just want to get on top of those symptoms, sort them out and then carry on being, you know, brilliant. The brilliant women that we always were. That sounds like a fantastic place to end. I just, I think the book is fantastic. Uh, It's out this week and um, I recommend it to anyone. I think, uh, I mean, I do hope we get to a point where, (laughs) sounds odd to say it, but, you know, maybe on every woman's 35th birthday or 40th birthday, it's like you you get this in the post. (laughs) It's like forewarned is forearmed. Let's get prepared and uh, and yeah face it with with a po- kind of positive mental attitude that there are, there is a lot that we can change and take you know control. my mantra emma is <laughs> be prepared not scared and i think if women yeah you know that we want to get in 30 to, to talking to women in their 30s mid 30s mm. um so that they know what's to come and they yeah they can be prepared fantastic Thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk to us and uh, yeah, happy book publication week. It's been a delight. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.